Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Isaiah chapter 61, and we're going to read three verses here that's pretty familiar scriptures, and I want to take my title from one of these verses and hopefully tie this all together with the help of the Lord. Isaiah 61 and 1, the Bible says, but the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord had anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Amen. And just from a portion of verse number three, I want to take my title about giving them beauty for ashes. And I want to preach this evening from this subject, Out of the Ashes. Amen. Never discount what God can bring out of the ashes. We look at situations and we just deem them hopeless. And sometimes we can even look at individuals and just deem them drifting too far. But I just feel like the Holy Ghost wants to speak to us tonight. Amen. And to anyone who will join us online, there's something wonderful that can rise out of the ashes. Amen. You can be seated and thank you tonight. And I want to turn our attention, if you will keep your Bibles with you tonight, to the book of Isaiah. And I want to kind of go backwards to verse to chapter 35. And I want to consider this evening, for the most part, verses 1 through 13. This is a snapshot of the elect of God coming out once again of bondage. And it is, in, in reality... It, Isaiah 35 is a story of their journey, but I believe in truth it's also a story of our journey as well. From the very beginning of time, God has always kept his hand on his people. He's always kept his hand on his people. Those that would would stay focused and those that would stay endeared to him, God has always kept his hand upon them. Even in our error, even in our folly, I believe all of us are witnesses of God's divine mercy of what David said, that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
we can look in the scripture, but we can also look in our own lives and see how the goodness and the mercy of God has been an unbroken thread, that he was there when, when we did not deserve it. He was there when there was no merit on our part whatsoever. God continued to keep that thread of mercy to us. In the book of Isaiah chapter 34, the previous chapter, we see a productive land that has now become little more than just a barren waste because of the judgment of God. And then we begin reading in chapter 35 how that God reminds us of what he can do with things that seem impossible, what the hand of God can do. And so we'll begin reading with verse number one. The Bible says the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. Now the scripture said that the desert, that impossible thing where there is seemingly no life would give, would give birth to life, that a rose would, would blossom. And the very barren region would rejoice and bloom, the scripture says. In verse number two, it doesn't just talk about barely making it, but it would blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. Then the scripture says that the glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. So Isaiah in his penmanship is not being random. He's not throwing caution to the wind. But Isaiah is being very intentional in his illustrations and in his word pictures underscoring, I think, for all of us something very significant. He said, the glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. Lebanon was noted for its cedar trees. So he said, I'm gonna give you the glory of Lebanon. And then he said, I will give you the excellency of Carmel. Carmel was noted for its oak trees. And so we're gonna bless you and we're gonna give you the excellency of Carmel and we will give you the excellency of Sharon, which was noted for its flowers. These were all examples of what God said he would do in a land that was desert and laid waste. God said, I will give you the strength. I will give you the strength of the cedar tree. I will give you the strength of the oak tree. I will give you the beauty of the flowers and all of this is going to happen in a place that is laid waste. And so it begs the question then for you and I, why? Why or how is it that God would do something like that? The scripture says, I believe an answer to that in the latter portion of verse number two, he says they, speaking of Israel, will see the glory of the Lord. I'm gonna tell you tonight what makes the difference in the lives of men and women. It will not be programs, it will not be productions, it will not be anything that man can set his hand to. But if anything good tonight happens in this service, it will be because of the glory of the Lord. If anything worth any eternal value, it will only be because of the glory of God. 
I will tell you not to hurt anybody's feelings or offend any participant in this service thus far, including myself. But we won't be far past this moment when people will not remember the songs that we sang. They will not remember the sermon that we preached. They will not remember the text of this evening. Amen. But I'll tell you what will make the difference is the glory of the Lord that is in this place. To be sure, this was not the first time that Israel had seen the glory of God. They saw it during their exodus from Egypt. In Exodus chapter 16 and verse number seven, the Bible says that you will, he promised them, he said, you will see my glory in the morning. In Exodus chapter 24 and verse 16, the Bible talks about the six days that the power of God like a cloud went above and beyond Mount Sinai while Moses was there speaking with God and on the seventh day God called him down out of that cloud the power of the glory of God amen in Exodus chapter 40 and verse 34 and also in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse number 11 speaks about the glory of God that not only filled the tabernacle but the glory of God that filled the temple and so when we talk about the glory of God I want to be real specific tonight to tell you that when the scripture talks about the glory of God, this often refers to what's known as a theophany or it simply means there is a visible manifestation of God to man. There is some kind of visible manifestation. So when we're talking about the glory of God, I'm going to tell you that's not a figment of our imagination. The glory of God, the power of God manifesting itself in a service is not something that we can drum up with our own talent, our own ability, but the glory of God is when God says, I want to make my arm bare and I want to reveal myself to mankind. Isaiah was pointing to something much larger than what we find here captured in a few verses of the book by its name. Isaiah was speaking about Jesus Christ who was the embodiment of God's glory. Amen. This is the teaching of the New Testament. John 1 and 14. You know it well. The word was made flesh and it dwelt among us. It was a visible manifestation of God to man. In the book of John chapter 2 that shares the story of the very first miracle of Jesus Christ. We know it as the wedding of Cana of Galilee or we know it as uh, maybe where the Lord turned the water into wine. But we need to really understand that God was not stepping to the forefront in this particular instance to try to keep a, a, a nameless and a faceless family from being embarrassed because they ran out of wine. But God was wanting to... He wanted to reveal himself to man. Verse number 11 of John 2 gives us the full reason for this miracle. The Bible says this was the beginning of miracles did Jesus this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Amen. It was a sign. As I've often preached about, God wasn't there. The Lord Jesus Christ wasn't there entertaining people. He wasn't trying to salvage a bad moment for a nameless couple. But God said, I'm going to take advantage of this moment and I am going to make a manifestation of who I am to 
to man. Hallelujah. There's something powerful and comforting to know that the glory of God would reveal himself to common man. And so you join me and I join you and we join a host of others along with David that says what is man that thou art mindful of him. Who am I? Who am I that you would bleed and die for? Who am I that you would give your life? Who am I that would love me while I was yet in my sin? While we were yet in our peril, he gave his life for us. Something powerful about the manifestation of God. Isaiah 35 and 3. The scripture goes on to say, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. And so here Isaiah is urging those that are spiritually perceptive, urging those that are tuned in to that world to encourage people that are fearful and to encourage people who are discouraged. I just want to, I want us to be honest with one another tonight. I don't mind to tell you that I'm thankful for those voices in my life who have have strengthened me when I needed it most, when I needed a word of encouragement. It's all right to say that we've all been to that place where we were discouraged about whatever the situation in life may have been, but aren't you thankful somebody came along, they didn't just have a cold handshake or an indifferent pat on the back, but there was something about when they connected to us, there was a spirit from them that flowed into our heart and our mind, and we were bettered, we were strengthened Strengthened. We were anointed because God used them to strengthen us. Amen. Amen. He said, say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. This is verse four. Even God with a recompense, he will come. He will save you. I'm gonna tell you tonight, from time to time, we have needed someone to come to us, whether it was one-on-one, in a song, or in a sermon. Amen, and bring this very message. Amen, be strong and fear not, because God, your God, is gonna come with a vengeance. He's gonna come with a recompense and he will save you. I'm thankful tonight to know that more than one time, not just initially when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but I'm thankful that again and again that my God has come to my aid and my God has stepped into our situation and my God has moved right then to save me. He wasn't trying to just do something to bedazzle the public. He wasn't trying to do something to move the crowd but he stepped in to my home he may have stepped into my own prayer room he may have stepped into my office or my car or into your house wherever you were your God he said he will save you and so be strong be strong and fear not amen Isaiah was saying, God, he is going to come and he is going to exercise vengeance on those that oppose him and he's going to exercise vengeance on those that oppose his people. He said, he will save you. The work of salvation begins with a healing, truly a healing ministry. The Bible says in Isaiah 35 and 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped then shall the lame man leap as an heart 
and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. And so when you watch this, you see he said, I'm going to take care of blindness. I'm going to take care of deafness. I'm going to take care of lameness. And I'm going to take care of dumbness. And it's all going to be done by the glory of God. I will manifest myself. And so with some, he spit in their eyes. Amen. To some, amen, he just spoke to the dead and lifted them up. He called Lazarus by name. He raised the young man out of the coffin. Can you hear me tonight? Amen. It was a manifestation of the glory of God. God was trying to show those around him, I am he. There is no need to look for another. I am the one that was prophesied about. I am walking among you. And to the lame, amen, he said, take up thy bed and walk. And to the blind, he said, receive thy sight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All for the glory of God. In Matthew 11, we find John speaking of being discouraged, disillusioned, somewhat somewhat discombobulated by the circumstances of his own life and ministry. In John 11, we find him at the end of his life. At the end, he was most literally at the end of his life. He was at the end of his ministry in prison. Seemingly all hope was gone. There was a fear that was welling up in his heart that he had somehow bought into a pipe dream. Somehow I have hooked my star to the wrong wagon. And in desperation, he called two of his own disciples to him. And he said, I want you to go to Jesus and I want you to ask him a question. And I submit to you tonight that it was a question that could have been offensive in Matthew 11 3 he said I want you to go to Jesus and I want to ask I want you to ask him something for me John wants to know art thou he that should come or do we look for another has this all been for naught has this all been for nothing have we ever been there amen have you ever been to the end of yourself have I prayed all of this for nothing have I invested into all of this for nothing he said I just need you to go ask Jesus one thing for me. I'm going to tell you tonight that Jesus wasn't offended when these two men stood. He simply quoted something that was similar to what we're reading right here in Isaiah. He said, Jesus turned and said unto them, you go show John. Don't just go tell John. You go show John those things which you do hear and the things which you do see. Amen. Don't you go tell John what you heard what's going on don't go tell John what you heard somebody else say to somebody else he said you go tell John what you have heard and you go tell John what you have seen amen the blind have received their sight hallelujah and the lame are walking and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf are hearing and the dead are raised to life again and the poor are having the gospel preached unto them now I, I don't know how all this played out but I'm going to tell you in my mind I just wonder if these two men took a blind man with them I wonder if they took a formerly lame man with them I wonder if they took somebody that had been raised to the dead they said hey I want you to not only hear it I want you to see it maybe somebody stood at that prison cell and said again that's not recorded for us I once was blind but now I see I was deaf and I can't hear I couldn't walk but now I can run Hallelujah. You go tell John what you both see and hear. Hallelujah. 
John was saying, I am him. <laughs> Jesus was saying, I am him, John. I am him. Praise God. In verse number six, the Bible says, For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert, and the parched ground shall become like a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. Can I tell you that the work of salvation involves provision, water, but not just a little water, not just enough water, not just a dew to kiss it in the morning, but he said it's gonna be streams in the desert. I'm talking about out of the ashes, streams in the desert, the parched ground. It's not just gonna be moist, it's gonna be like a pool, amen. And, and he said in the thirsty land is gonna have springs of water, springs of water. Water is gonna break forth. Isaiah is using some word pictures here to depict the refreshment that Jesus had the ability to do and was doing in a spiritual wasteland. Similarly, this is what we read about in John 4. I'll just divert here for just a moment. John 4 and 11, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, what the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is deep from whence thou where do you have this living water you're talking about? I mean, we're here, you have nothing to draw with. You know how deep this well is. Then she said something very common to humanity. She said, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? I mean, do you know the caliber of man that dug this well? Do you know about she's caught up in this literal well and the literal water? But Jesus answered in her and he said, whoever drinks of this water is gonna, is gonna thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I will give you will never thirst because the water that I'll give you, here it is. It's gonna be like a well of water springing up into everlasting in life. Amen. Ordinarily water, we drink it and it goes down. But Jesus said, what I'm going to give you is not just going to be something that goes down and in a little while you're going to need it again and tomorrow you're going to need it again and the next day you're going to need it again. But what I'm talking about giving you is going to be in you a well of water. It's going to be a refreshing when we're all together and it's going to be a refreshing when we're all alone. It's going to be together. It's going to be refreshing when I've got somebody to hold my hand and it's going to be a refreshing when I stand all by myself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isaiah 35 and 8, the Bible says, And a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. So here's Isaiah, his pen in his hand, not just words, but word, pictures. Amen, not a random statement. This is not just a metaphor he reached up and got off the shelf, but it is a term that is kin to what we would recognize as a modern highway today. Perhaps maybe biblically or scripturally in the scriptural setting, a more accurate picture 
Isaiah is saying it is a raised way. It is a lifted and elevated way. It's something that's built up on top of the surface. It's obvious to anybody who looks at it. This is a highway. This is a road. You, you won't mistake a county road. You won't mistake a state highway. You won't mistake an interstate throughway. Amen. This is going to be a raised way. It's a certain way. There are many things that, that, uh, that Isaiah used to describe this way. It's a holy way. It's restricted to those who desire and search after and seek after and love holiness. Amen. It is a holy way. Isaiah also underlines it as more. He said this is not just a holy way, but it is a safe way. In verse 9, he said, No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed, the redeemed shall walk there. It's a safe way. Amen. You can get on this way and you can walk this way. You don't have to worry about what's going to be around the corner. The Lord said there won't be a ravenous beast there. The Lord said there'll be nothing to destroy you there. No beast can harm you. In verse number 10, the Bible says, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads and they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away from them. Hear me again. Let me read that latter portion. They shall obtain joy and gladness but he said and sorrow and sighing is going to vanish. It will flee away. Hallelujah. I'm thankful tonight to know that the way that we're walking is a freedom way. Amen. It is a freedom highway. It is a way for those that have been redeemed in bondage of sin. I'm going to tell you, I remember the song singing, the words of the song that said, I've been redeemed by love divine. I know what we're talking about here. Not just a few cute words put together, crammed together that rhyme. No, no, no. I know what it is like to be redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen, I have been, I have been redeemed. When I didn't deserve it, he reached further down than I could reach up. When I didn't have enough sense to walk toward him, he kept reaching toward me. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the power and the freedom and the liberty of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen, it's a straight way. It's a straight way. It's straight for a reason because it has a destination. Not a sightseeing. Amen. You know, there's uh, something in the Smoky Mountains. I'm sorry, my mind just kind of went blank on me right there. But you kind of pull into it. You know, a bunch of you guys have been there hundreds of times, I'm sure. <laughs> you know that place. <laughs> but you drive in and you go around and you just come back out. Amen. Y'all acting like you've never been there. <laughs> <laughs> And for the life of me, I can't think of it, but, it, but I know six of you will tell me after church where it is. Cage Cove, there it is, Cage Cove, thank you. Cage Cove, you're going in, you're going to see a lot of beautiful things, but you're just coming back out. You're just going to go out, essentially the same gate that you went in, but this is a straight way because it's going somewhere. There is a destination, and that destination is Zion. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were traveling late one night. 
was in a very, very bad rainstorm, one of probably the worst rains that we've driven in in many, many years. We were trying to make our way to a hotel in a, in a place we had never been before. To make matters worse, the road was all under construction, and so we, all the odds were stacked against us. So we exited off the turnpike, very thankful to feel like now we're just so much closer to our destination, only to realize that that part of it was even under more construction. And it just seemed like for a moment, especially in the dark and in the rain, that we couldn't see because there were multiple roads that were leading off. Many of them turned out to be just construction roads. It was places they were parking equipment and things of that nature. There was so much mud and stuff on the road until all the roads looked the same. They were all kind of clay and dirt and muddy. You couldn't tell really which one was paved. And for just a moment, we were very nervous and unsettled. We didn't know what to, where to go and which way to go. And, you know, of course, we were the only one of the 27 people behind us that didn't know where we were going. <laughs> Amen. But we were nervous about that part of the journey until we finally got through that. It was only a few seconds, I'm sure, but in that setting it seemed much much longer than that very intimidating few moments there we finally found our way but you see living for the Lord is not like that amen because you're going to be walking down a straight way amen a straight way it's a sure way amen those that travel this road you're going to reach your destination you're going to get where you're, you're headed toward. Amen. Those that have traveled this road can walk it with assurance. They can walk it with a confidence. Have you ever, have you ever stopped somewhere? You were lost, kind of maybe talk, talking about times before GPS, but not really. Sometimes that's not even sure, a sure thing. But you stop and ask somebody directions, and you can just tell. They're telling you what to do, but they're unsure. I mean, there's a real, you know, there's there's just a real timid nature in their voice and, and no confidence. I walked away from that and I thought, well, I'm, I don't know whether to just keep trying what I'm doing or trying doing what he's telling me or they're trying to tell me to do. It's not a very comfortable position to be in. But then, then we have stopped for directions and you meet those people and you can tell just by their conversation. You say, hey, I'm trying to get to so-and-so. I mean, there's just a confidence that... They don't bat an eye. They don't have to swallow hard. They don't have to take a deep breath. And uh, they just begin to tell you, this: you need to go here. This is what you need to do. You're going to see this landmark, that line. Many times, those kind of conversations are conversations with those kind of people end with a phrase, something like this, you can't miss it. Now, I like getting directions from people that have the confidence to tell me, you do this, this, and this, and here is the end result. You can't miss it. It's gonna be right there in your path. It's gonna be right there in your windshield. They don't say that you can't miss it because they have confidence in you. They don't even know you. They don't even know me. So they didn't say you can't miss it because they could just tell by looking that I was that kind of guy that just don't miss things. Amen. They weren't saying that because they had confidence in me, but they were saying that because they had confidence in the direction they were giving me. 
Amen. They were pointing a sure way. They were pointing a proven way. They were pointing a tried way. Amen. They said with an assurance because they themselves have traveled that road many times. I'm going to tell you, when you're asking somebody what you need to do to make heaven your home, you don't need to be with somebody that's trying to kick the can down the road. You don't need to be with somebody that's trying to be politically correct. You don't need to be talking to somebody that's always wanted to go to heaven themselves, but you need to find you somebody that's been on that sure way and they've been walking that way for a while and they can tell you this, if you'll just get on this road, if you'll just make a right when you get there, if you'll just stay with it, you can't miss it. What I'm trying to tell you tonight is if you'll hear thus saith the word of the Lord, you can't miss heaven. You can't miss going there because the Lord wants you to be there. He says to all who will, let them come. Let them come. Praise God. Praise God. It's a gloryful, glorious way. Amen. Amen. I don't, I don't ever want to lose the joy of serving the Lord. Amen. I'm going to tell you, when you've been ransomed by God and you just look down the road, you look across the way, many of us don't have to look very far to see where we could have been or where we could be. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming me. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. There's many things, many things that people in this audience tonight in this physical building and those that are joining us online can say, I've never had some things in my mouth. I've never tasted some things. I've never experienced this. I've never experienced that. Amen. I'm not just trying to, I'm not just trying to make them something tonight, but I'm going to tell you, amen, that was only because you were redeemed by the Lord. But can I tell you that no matter how far down the alley of sin you have been, I'm preaching to you tonight out of the ashes, God can rise. Out of the ashes, God can bring beauty. Out of the ashes, God can give life. God can give life. Amen. I've always been quite fascinated with the story of Nehemiah. I love reading the book of Nehemiah. The rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. It's just a story that never gets old to me. But while Nehemiah rebuilt the walls and those were with him, we read about a man by the name of Sam Ballot and others that mocked him and they mocked the men that helped Nehemiah. And in that mocking, we can find sort of this capsulized for us in Nehemiah chapter four and verse two. There's several questions that, that, that Sam Ballot and his men just kind of threw out on the table. And oftentimes, cynical questions can do more to disengage forward progress than anything. You can feel all confident about something. Somebody walk up and say, are you sure? And their uncertainty kind of bred some uncertainty in us, whether we want to admit that or not, but it, it can give us a little bit of pause. So they said things like, what, what do these feeble Jews. What are these feeble Jews up to? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? And then the ultimate question, they said, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Will, what do they think they're doing? Can't you see this is all done? This is yesterday's news. But I say, 
a resounding yes to every one of those questions. Not only did they do it, but they did it in record time. You see, to man, it seems almost absurd. Human logic would tell us that that humanity can't be transformed. But you see, God has been building from the wasted for centuries. Just think with me. What a risky proposition Simon Peter must have been. (laughs) I'll call him. Who would have, who of us would have dared taken a chance on Saul of Tarsus? God has been working out of the dust for a long time. I'll take the most unlikely and I will give them a voice and I will give them a vision. Amen. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come and I will read verses 12 and 13. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field, listen, shall clap their hands. <laughs> Verse 13. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Instead of a thorn, you're going to get a tree. The the trees are going to clap their hands. The trees are going to be rejoicing. The Yakima Valley in the state of Washington was once a wasteland, mere sage, sand, sagebrush and sand and volcanic ash, a little more. In the late 1850s, Some of those early settlers not only planted personal gardens, but some of them had a penchant for wanting to plant orchards. So they planted small personal orchards trying to grow a harvest of various types of fruit. But the land was just so dry, it it proved to be a, a futile effort. But in the 1870s, some began experimenting with irrigation in this region. And in the process, they discovered that this dry and barren sand and this volcanic ash was the perfect soil for fruits and vegetables. The land just needed water. It just needed, everything else was there. And so irrigation began to work. And of course, in the 1870s, I'm sure it was very, very primitive. But irrigation, no matter how primitive in these embryonic baby steps, turned this wasteland into a miracle to this very day. It was reclaimed and it was transformed into priceless orchards. What was once barren and dry and dead now has become a bounty. In the next 30 years, 30 to 40 years, in the early 1900s, 
there were some 200 boxcar loads of fruit that were being shipped out of this valley every year because somebody realized we just need a stream in the desert. Today, Yakima County is the leading county in Washington State for the production of apples, sweet cherries, and pears. 160 million apples will make their way to consumers all over the world from just one grower in this valley. Just one orchard in this valley. In addition, there are hundreds of acres of peach farms and nectarines and plums and prunes and apricots and other soft fruits. In this once barren valley grows 70% of our nation's apples, 42% of our nation's pears, and 38% of our nation's Concord grapes. In the immutable words of Isaiah, he said the desert will blossom as a rose. So what do we need to transform this? We need a stream in the desert. We need the glory of God. What do I need to do to turn my life around? He said in Isaiah 61 and three, I will give you beauty for ashes. What the devil said is done, sealed, signed, delivered. The Lord said, if you'll give me what's left, could you stand with me? If you'll, if you'll give me what's left. From the volcanic ash to an oasis of fruits enjoyed across our nation and around the world. If God can allow, I'm just asking you this. If God can allow the literal land to be changed, then who are you and I to think that God can't do the same thing in the lives of men and women? Amen. I want to ever underestimate what God can do in a totally surrendered life to just say, here I am, Lord. I'm, I surrender. Amen. For this valley, all that was missing was just proper irrigation. And that's the same, the same is true for you and I. All we really need is the power of God, the glory of God. Amen. I wonder if we could just entertain his presence here this evening. Would you let the authority and the anointing of the Holy Ghost minister to you in your home tonight? Would you let God speak to you right now as you ride down the highway? Would you let the power and the presence of the Lord minister to you right now in this building? Let the power of God touch us, transform us, challenge us. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.